1: all right hey welcome to the war room john how are you feeling brother
0: i'm great how are you
1: oh god it's a it's a balmy 24 degrees in boulder colorado today but hey uh, like i always tell people if we got oxygen coming in and out of our chest that's a great day (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah so great to have you on the show today and I always kind of like to kick things off a little bit uh, with, you know, your journey. So your journey, um, did you grow up in a family of entrepreneurs or, or, or business people? Or what did that look, what was your journey like for you?
0: Uh, sure. So I grew up uh, just north of New York City, a uh, small town. Town called Armonk. That's where IBM's corporate headquarters is, and uh, my dad was a uh, was a IBM employee you know, the entire time I, I was growing up. Uh, I think he retired with 35 years of service, and uh, so uh, being a corporate employee and you know being a son that looks up to his dad and wanting to be just like his dad. When I graduated from college, I went to go work for a large corporation. I went to go work for Sprint and uh worked for sprint for almost 9 years uh took a hiatus to go try the startup thing in 2000 and then went back to sprint after that uh that went <laughs> that went down um and uh, while I was at Sprint, I realized that the corporate life just wasn't really for me. Um, Sprint treated me incredibly well. Um, you know, my dad supported our family really well in the corporate life. Um, but I, it just wasn't a place that I wanted to spend you know thirty years of my life. So I did a lot of research on different careers. and when I had an idea of a career that I thought might fit me, I would ask people that knew me well and get their feedback. And I knew I was on to something when I decided to become a financial advisor because people knew me well. When I asked them if they could see me doing that as a as a career, uh, building a financial planning business, I started hearing not only could I see you doing it, but if you do choose to do that, call me because I want to work with you. I want I want you to be the one to handle my stuff. And so that's that's when I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And then uh, that was 20 years ago, uh, just uh, this past December uh i've oh. been doing this
1: good good awesome yeah so you you you've been in the fight for a while then <laughs> yeah. i have you, you got all the bloody noses and bloody t-shirts don't you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i
0: do i do
1: <laughs> yeah but but hey that's all part of the part of the learning process right is um you know, getting all those bloody noses along the way. And that's been a big part of this podcast was to try to prevent that for some young founders. Um, no, absolutely. You know, I mean, how did, I guess like growing up and stuff, uh, you know, cause a, a lot of times entrepreneurship, it, it's like in our blood somehow. Right. I mean, really? I, I grew up when my family was very entrepreneurial Um and wh- when did you really like feel that bug caught you? When did when did that happen for you?
0: Well, initially it happened when I was a kid. I really was an independent child and really just kind of wanted to do my own thing. And I learned very quickly that if you have money, then you have more choices. <laughs> and also, if you've got to ask mom and dad for money, that usually comes with a lot of questions. Whereas if I had my own money, it's like, yeah, I'm going off the pole. See you, and they're like, yeah, whatever, you know, uh, just let us know when you'll be back. Um, Then I could just go off, and you know, I didn't get the questions that I didn't really want to answer. Uh, So that that's early on. And then uh, the gentleman that I lived right next door to me, I um, he had his own business, and I was just fascinated by that. And so I don't know how I did this or why I did this, but one day I, I approached him. I said, hey. You know, I should work in your business. You know, I'm 15 years old, and he 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 was a real estate consultant, and he's like, "Oh, okay. Well, what would you do?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm pretty good with computers, so I you should hire me to to deal with all your computers." He's like, "All right, uh, okay." So for two days a week that summer, I worked with him in his business, and I, I really got to see what it was like for a small business owner. And I worked for a number of other small businesses along the way, but that was really the start um seeing yeah. that yeah that's cool
1: well and it's good that you get exposed to that like when you're younger because then you realize that there's a lot of not sexy parts about it right yeah <laughs> oh for sure you know yeah, and you, sure. everybody just sees the glitz and glam part you know but what nobody gets to see is when, when you slide that curtain open, what that hot mess looks like sometimes back there.
0: <laughs> oh, without question. And and uh, one of the gentlemen that I worked for along the way, I, he owned a liquor store. Uh, mm-hmm. Great guy. It was a family run business. A Great, great guy. And so one day I pulled him aside and I was asking him a couple of questions about it. And he looked at me a little bit horrified. He was like, you'd do you want to open up a liquor store I was like well you know I don't know maybe I just like I want to know how this works he's like yeah no you don't you don't <laughs> want to do that <laughs> I think he was just having a bad day that, yeah. that that liquor store is still in business and his kids have now he took it over from his dad he ran it now his kids are running it nice. um yeah so he, he, I just just wanted to share that his perspective he didn't hate he didn't hate the job
1: yeah yeah well that's Typically, when you see a business run generation, generationally, it's probably doing pretty good, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, COVID helped alcohol, too. <laughs> hey,
0: you know, times are bad, people drink. Times oh, yeah. are good, people drink more. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I think I was reading something about alcohol sales during COVID, and they said there was more alcoholics created during COVID than any Ooh. other time in history. Oh, I mean, that's, that's awful. Cl- but think about it. People were drinking more. No, it wine makes than sense. It makes total sense. You're stuck at house and yeah, at your house and you start drinking a little bit of wine. The next thing, another one. Next thing, you got a bottle down in a day, right? Right, right. Next thing, it's two bottles and it's three, yeah. four, five. And then your liver falls out your bottle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh I think me growing up as a kid, I mean, I got some great lessons from my folks when it came, you know, what, what to do and what not to do, probably more importantly. Um, Yeah. Cause my mom always, she always flared to like the, the trend at the time. Right. So she owned most, I grew up in a really small town of like, I don't know, it'd have been 500 or less. Oh, Um, wow so she owned pretty much everything in town you know, <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> but you know, a restaurant, um, a clothing store. And then back then was, uh, so it went from VHS tape rentals to DVD rentals to <laughs> out of business basically. Um, and you know, I remember my dad cause he was a farmer right? and every year he'd go to the banker and do his thing with the banker right and the the days of the pnl were much different then right yeah. so he had one of those red notebooks and he yeah. would like literally his pnl was handwritten inside of a notebook right and uh but that's like some of the first times i learned how to not manage money but how yeah. to push money around, right? Right. Um when things got bad, how did he rob Peter to pay Paul, you know, all these different things, right? Right. And there were some valuable lessons in that, and the biggest valuable lesson for me was not to have to do that. <laughs> right? Right. right. So so yeah, you know, I mean, I'm really curious. I mean, you've been in business for a lot of years, so I'm I'm curious to know you know, what are some of your like top, your top go-to tips, if you would reach into your, your bucket of sludge and say, look, here's three lessons that I learned over the last 20 years in my business. And, um, here's kind of some of the, uh, some of the tips to get around some of that.
0: Sure. So when I decided to become a, financial advisor, I was really thinking that a lot of my time was going to be in the world of investments. And I I do spend quite a bit of time there, but I I thought that was pretty much, you know, going to be 90% of my time. And the firm that I got hired by, um, when I was when I was looking for a place to work, I would ask it uh, I went, during the interview, I'd always ask the same question. Like, so people come in, they give you all their financial information and you you do what with it? Like you're because you're, you're going to give them advice. What's the advice based on? And I didn't really didn't get very good answers. A lot of places I was just hearing a lot of sales like, well, they come in with their mutual funds. We show them our mutual funds. They come in with their insurance. We show them our insurance. And I, that, that didn't sound like a financial plan to me. Um, with the firm that I ultimately landed with, they, they, they counter with like, oh, well, we have this, this great process called living balance sheet. And instead of telling you about it, we'll, we'll do your financial plan for free. And if you like it, then maybe you want to come work here. And so I, that's how I started my journey, uh, with the firm that I'm with. Right. Um, so the reason I, I started with that, that matter of background is that, I didn't know anything about the world of insurance, nothing. And so very quickly, they taught me about the, you know, how to, how to structure your property, casualty insurance, car insurance, homeowners insurance, umbrella insurance, um, things like disability insurance, which I wasn't really aware of, um, you know, being in my early thirties and, you know, thinking I was invincible um, and then life insurance. So they trained me and I started working with families. And then I started uh, you know, working on my own after my year of training. Very first client I worked with, onboarded them. The husband bought two million dollars of life insurance to protect his income. Uh, his wife was uninsurable. She had she had some medical issues. And uh, we made arrangements to get together in six months to talk about investing. And I was all excited. You know, I just I had landed my first client. Um about four months later, it's a hot August day, I'm mowing the lawn, it's a Sunday, I get back into the house, I answer the, you know, I had a voicemail, and it's my buddy Kevin, and he says, I don't, I don't know how to tell you this, but your friend, you know, your friend Nate died this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Nate being the guy that got the $2 million life insurance. So uh, very quickly, all of my work was on, on display, and uh, I watched mm-hmm. this policy turn into a checking account and what it meant to that family. Um, so uh, to get full circle back to the question you asked, like, you know, the three things that I would encourage people, like, these are things you should focus on. Uh, number one is, you know, figure out, you know, or at least know what is what is your human life value worth? Like, what is what is the net present value of all your future paychecks? Um, and, then, and then map that against you know what protections you have in place, and just you know, are you happy with the result? You know, I'm not making a recommendation here. I'm just saying, like you should know, you know, where wh- where the the bookends are. Uh, the second thing is the cash flow management. Cash flow management is the dominant determinant of financial success or failure for most families uh, in America. The median income in the United States is seventy thousand dollars a year. Uh, the median net worth of people between the ages of 55 and 64 people that are approaching retirement is 215,000. So, you know, when you do the math on that, just straight math on that, that's, that's funding, you know, between three and six years of retirement. And then, you know, you're, you're out of money. So uh, I, I think in a lot of ways, the traditional budgeting methods have have led to that result um, for people. Um, so getting, getting strong with your cash flow and saving 20% of your income each year. And then the third thing is the investment management piece, um, is, you know, be on top of how your money's managed. Um, you know, are you getting fairly compensated for the amount of risk that you're taking? Um, I see re- portfolios all the time, uh, folks come in to see me and some of these portfolios are, you know, invested in, in really, really risky stuff. And they really have no idea. Um, And so a lot of my work is is to listen to them up front, find out, get them to tell me what they want their lives to look like and then see are your financial decisions on a day in day out basis in alignment with that. And if they're not is to kind of coach them along and and help bring those things into alignment, because when we can do that, um, then they can have a, a more calm and balanced life. So those are the three things is the, you know, the, you know, know where you are with your protection, you know, cash flow is the man is the dominant determinant. Uh, and then on the investment piece, you know, are you getting compensated for the amount of risk that you're taking?
1: Yeah, man, that's great advice for sure. And I actually just seen I, this was last week, I seen uh uh something flash across my phone in the news thing, news feed, and it said the average uh the average uh American has less than $2,000 in a savings account. Yeah, it's true. That's pretty sad, man. I mean, it geez. is.
0: Yeah, oh. and that's, it is terrible. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I, I, I wrote the book, um, The One Number Budget, is to try and put a dent in that problem. Um, I, I find that traditional budgeting methods fail uh, for a number of reasons, but the main one is, is that they're complicated. Um, you've got thirty to forty different things that you have to track every single month, um, and so that's a lot of work. And then out of those thirty to forty, I mean, no, as I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, you tell me if I'm right here, but no month looks like last month or, or the next month. There's always something that's off. And wow. when you're trying to track thirty to forty budget items that you've, you know, you've made perfect, you got the perfect budget hanging on your refrigerator, you put a lot of work into it, and, you, and you're off on ten of them. It just makes you feel like a failure, and people, if they feel like a failure, they'll usually you know they, they might they might hang in there for a month or two, but eventually they're just going to quit because um, okay. it just doesn't it's just not uh, fit for them. Um, so the book that I wrote around the one number budget was to simplify give people another option of how to simplify your cash flow decisions, how to do it with a lifetime perspective um, so that you'll actually do it. And you do it consistently, right?
1: Yeah. Well, that's the key, right? And and I think people just aren't realistic from the beginning, right? So, w- with with what a budget looks like, because it's not just a budget; it's also, you know, managing. God, managing isn't even the word. Um, people are just terrible about, you know, just knowing what an asset is, <laughs> right? Yeah. What an asset! What debt is? What's the difference between regular debt and strategic strategic debt? How right. to le- leverage them differently? Um, so, you know, this isn't the stuff they teach in the school systems, and that's part of the that's part of the problem, right? Is it'd be great if kids could come up through school and understand some of this stuff, you right. know, coming coming into life a little better, but but we all know everybody can't be a business owner, so they don't teach that, which that's true. I mean there's some truth in that um you know they raise raise us up in in life in school to be employees. I mean we gotta have employees too, right I mean right. Is, not everybody can be an entrepreneur <laughs> so, right. so but it would be so refreshing, and I know there's schools that do it, but If we could literally teach people how to um, not just manage money, but, but invest money, uh, how, where to put money, how to move it around, you know, what's a debt, what's a, what's an asset, you know, all these, all these things. So they know this stuff. And then when you do put a number on there, it makes sense. Right. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really a huge fan of budget. um we all have to have them right but but I like fluid budgets, but some of that's because I'm a business owner, right, and budgets are always fluxing all the time, right because your budget this month might be different next month, and it has to and, and that makes it complicated, I think sometimes for a lot of a you know your average American to try to balance some of that
0: right you raise a great point like most entrepreneurs and business owners they're they, if they saw the budget spreadsheet that i uh you know put in the put forth in the book probably not gonna use it too much from a from like a month-to-month standpoint it's really more right. designed for employees um but a lot of what i borrow from um well let me let me first start with this, like, one of the, one of the things that I don't like about traditional budgets, budgets is it focuses on just a month. And after a while, it just kind of trains the person uh, to that, you know, as long as I got more money than month, then, you know, I'm all set, I'm doing, I'm doing good. Um, But it doesn't really lend itself well to a lifetime perspective. And if, uh, if you have, if you have a a certain amount that's allocated in your monthly budget that's going towards long-term, you know, retirement savings. If you get if you get pressed that month, if you have an un- unplanned expense that month, where where are you stealing from? You know, like like how are you going to make the numbers work for the month? And typically you're going to steal from the retirement bucket. You know, you can't steal from the mortgage company because they're going to take your house. Right. Um you can't steal from any of those other categories, so you're going to steal from the retirement bucket. And, you know, what you're really doing in that instance is you're stealing from your future self. Um, So the perspective that I share with clients and I share in the book is if, you know, from a lifetime perspective, uh, the importance of getting the cash flow management piece right is if you think of a 90 year life and you divide that into thirds and you've got a first 30, that's, you know, your parents basically pay for most of that. So I don't really spend a lot of time talking about the first 30 then you've got the middle thirty that's the financial engine that's where you're earning your money during your prime working years, and then you've got the final thirty, which is you know retirement so when you think about it the you've got sixty years of living that need to be funded out of thirty years of working no. and that puts tremendous tremendous pressure on on those thirty years but when you're in the when you're in the fight you know, it's, it's tough to remember that, um, because yeah. you're, you're staring your kids in the face and they're like, yeah, you know, we want to be on the soccer team. And mm-hmm. thought we were going to go to Disney this year. And, um, right. you know, hoping to go to college. Uh, there's a lot of things riding on those 30 years, but, um, just, you know, repeat what I said, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta fund 60 years of living out of 30 years of earning.
1: Yeah. That's a great way to look at that. That. I bet you that'll bring a little different perspective to some of the people that are listening. Um I hope to, so, to so. look to look at it that way. But but because it is, it's almost you know, and hard work doesn't always equate to more money and all that kind of stuff either. But but you know, it's it's about knowing how to properly feed that beast to when you know you are 65. Now right. you're not working until you're 80, you know. I, I know lots of people that have ended up that way, and it's really sad.
0: Um and I would even say that those are the lucky ones. Um, that that working beyond 65 was 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 possible. Sure. Uh, there was an article, I referenced it in the book, uh to 2018 article that uh it was a study done on folks oh, oh, the 50 plus. And what the article found was there's a 50, if you're over the age of 50, there is a 56% chance that you will lose your job due to no fault of your own. That's okay. not the scary statistic. The scary statistic came after that, which was only one in 10 will replace that income. They'll, they'll find a job that will replace the income.
1: Oh, wow. So
0: when you, you made the comment about, um, you know, growing your income and, like one of the things I'm encouraging clients and anybody that'll listen really is you, you've got to devote time every single year to making yourself better. Um, yeah. You know, when yeah. in the seventies and eighties, you know, there was kind of lifetime employment, the, the world's changed. And you, you just have to make sure that when they're making those, when the corporations like we're seeing people are getting laid off. Um, when those, those decisions are being made, make sure that they're like, well, you know, John, you yeah, know, he's, he's, up, he's up at the top. Like there's five people in that department. John, John's not going anywhere. So, you know, we just have to make a decision about, you know, one of these folks, uh, yeah. but it's certainly not going to be John. Just make sure that's you.
1: Yeah. Um, right. For sure. Well, outlook, what's the outlook for 2023 in your opinion? Are <laughs> we going up? Or are we going in the
0: shitter? <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. <laughs> Nobody knows. Yeah, Nobody knows. Um, well, I, I mean, it's it's funny. I uh, I talk to people a lot, as you can imagine, and I say that t- t- just as I said it to you. And clients will look across the table. They're like, "Oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know." But seriously, what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, nobody uh, knows. Rub your crystal um, so, ball, good heavens. <laughs> well, I mean, if if I knew that, you know, I like I wouldn't have published a book, and I'd be you know sitting in the Bahamas, I guess. But sure, sure. I um but what i uh I encourage people to do is like you know focus on what you can control you know like that that advice yeah. on the tail end of the you know the fifty plus uh discussion um you know that's that's really your best bet is just make yourself better every single year and mm-hmm. then you you've done everything that you can do to improve your situation yeah for sure
1: yeah all all great tips and great great advice um how how do people get a hold of you to work with you?
0: Sure. So folks that uh, want to contact me, uh, the website cranefinancial.com uh, and you can find me through the contact page there and, and read about me. Uh, also, if you're interested in learning more about the budgeting book, uh, there's a website for the book one onenumberbudget.com. You can download the first chapter for free. If, if you just want to download the spreadsheet so you can play around with the budgeting spreadsheet. Uh, if you go to one number budget dot com slash worksheet, uh you'll be able to download it there. Cool. Very awesome. Well, hey, thank you.
1: Great, great conversation, great points today. I hope everybody really like oozed that in the brain. Um <laughs> and you know, I I always like to kind of close out the show with uh with the the million dollar question is Okay. You know, if if John could have anybody, could have had anybody here, if you could have had anybody here with you today, dead or alive, any point in time, um, doesn't matter. Either to be involved in the conversation, and it might be somebody that you would have because of the conversation we had. Who would have you loved to have had here and why? Sure.
0: Um, so you this conversation kind of like uh, our entire conversation today kind of like sparked something in me when you're asking me about uh you know where the entrepreneurial roots of of my journey um so my answer to your question is is my great-grandfather walter um my family's history going back to the early 1800s uh they were business owners in brooklyn new york uh they owned a shipyard and my uh it was a big family and my great grandfather Walter, um, he was the third oldest, and so two of his older brothers ran the shipyard, and then so, then subsequently passed, and then you know order succession. Um, so my great grandfather Walter was really responsible for running that business for the majority of his adult life, and ended up really having to take care of all of his brothers and sisters and their families. And it just it, it, I I think about him a lot, especially when I'm going through it, like a challenge, and I'm like you know. Like, I wonder what his life must have been like, because he, he had a lot of irons in the fire. So it would have been great to have him on the call today just to um, just to hear his perspective and to hear what it was like for him, because, uh, you know, obviously a, a much different time. But uh, yeah, I, that's, that's who I would say. Yeah,
1: that's a great choice for sure. I know my grandpa, he was, well, those generations were definitely a little uh more rougher around the edges yeah. um and didn't pull punches really <laughs> so much <laughs> and i i remember many times my my grandpa uh, and it, it like literally went down generations to my dad like you got to be yeah. a raging capitalist <laughs> <laughs> <There> you know <laughs> yeah and i mean that's like something that's always stuck with me right i mean if you if you want your situation to be different you have to change your situation, right? right? So change your situation and do something that makes the situation different. Don't just be satisfied with unsatisfaction, right? So right. Um, I think that's really key for sure. Yeah. But well, Hey, uh, it was, it was great having you on the show today. I really appreciate you. you taking you know, the time to be here. We all have the same 168 every week. So um <laughs> And you took took the time to spend 31 here with us today. And we
0: appreciate it. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. All right. Cheers. This podcast is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Strategic Advisor Board Podcast is not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Crane Financial, and opinions stated are their own. John W. Crane, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS. Office of Jurisdiction, 11350, McCormick Road, Executive Plaza 3, Suite 202, Hunt Valley, Maryland 21031, Telephone Number 667 318 Securities Products and Advisory Services Offered Through Pass, Member FINRA SIPC, Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York, Pass is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Crane Financial LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Pass or Guardian. California license number 0G79065. Compliance number 2023149930. Expiration March 2024.